Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin. And my guest today is a poet and a special ed teacher, Miss Kiyoko Today. Thank you for joining me. Peace, James. First of all, I I, I love the name. What like where does that originate from? Um, Kyoko is uh, Japanese because my parents were military and they were stationed in Okinawa, Japan. And actually my older sister was the one who was born there. I wasn't born there. She was born there. And uh, I got the Japanese name, but my aunt, she actually is Japanese. My mother speaks a little bit of Japanese from living over there. I don't speak any and everything that she taught me, I actually forgot. So, (laughs) (laughs) and then um, today is a name that I got when I was um, fresh out of high school and my first uh, year of college, I used to dance for this uh, R&B group called Shades of Soul. And then I used to dance for this other group called uh, Umoja, which was an African dance troupe, <clears throat> excuse me. And one of the members of the R&B group was focusing on the way that I dressed. At the time I used to, well, I've always, I started wrapping my head probably in like eighth grade when I started uh, training with Umoja. And uh, I was kind of garbed down for a show that we were practicing for at the community center. But I've always kind of felt and dressed, you know, natural or however it is that I feel in the morning. That's just me, regardless of, you know, what the trend is. And so he came in when I was practicing one day and asked me um, why I dressed the way that I did. It's a couple of different times, you know, I was dressed different for the practices. And I was just telling him, you know, I just dress however I feel. And so he said, I think I'll call you today. And so the name stuck. Um, Some people call me Kyoko. Some call me today. Those in the poetry and artist world, they call me today. (laughs) And so it's a nickname. It's my artist name. And it kind of just stuck. And it's it's been that ever since. Did you get offended when he asked you, why was you dressed like that? No, not at all. Okay. Did you say you were born? I know you said your sister was born in Japan. You said you were or were not? We're not. Okay. Did you spend any time there? Um, I don't remember when I was there. I was younger. But outside of that, you know, when I got older and things like that, no, I would like to visit, though. Oh, okay, because I was just about to ask, is this somewhere that, that you would actually like to visit? Yeah, absolutely. I've heard a lot about it from my mom and my grandparents, but I myself have never been. Oh, okay. Let's get into the um, poetry. First of all, how did you get started writing poetry? I started writing when I was about 10 years old. And originally it just was an outlet, you know, for things that were going on uh, in my family life, other things that I used to see in my environment. Um, I didn't talk a lot when I was a lot younger, you know, so I just used to watch people and the things around me and listen to what it was they They said, I would probably say I was a a very non-trusting child. And (laughs) um, so I started writing. And these little poems and little stories just in my notebooks and um, the writing grew as I got older. So as I went through different phases of life, my writing transitioned and changed into something else. Uh, I got into spoken word poetry the first time that I saw Deaf Poetry Jam. And I was just, man, that it was amazing. And so that's what introduced me to the world of spoken word and a different way to write 
deliver poetry and uh, the things that I wanted to write about and express yourself. So that's it. It started out as an outlet and it turned into a love as well as an outlet. How old were you when you were confident enough to start sharing your work? Oh, let me see. I shared my first piece um, when I was in college. Uh, and I did that in front of a crowd and I was really, really nervous then. And um, I don't know if I'm still comfortable doing it. You know, I get up there and I, I still get nervous. I'm not a performer, but I will get up there and perform a piece. I'm trying to become more comfortable on the stage. So I do do open mic sets at different places. I don't know if you know about the Apache Theater, the iconic Apache here. Um, it is no longer the original. They have a new one now, but I performed on the Apache stage and uh, some other places in different states. And uh, I love it. But nervousness, always. I'm much more of a behind the scenes writer than in front of the crowd, but I will do it. You you said you started writing, you was like 10, but you didn't share the work until college. So was it like right. a confidence issue? Um, it was, well, one, they were just my private thoughts, you know. Okay. Um, I would write for myself and I would write for other people that I would see, you know, just going through stuff. And so it really was just an outlet. But I actually enjoyed writing as well. So English was always my favorite class. So I would write little bitty short stories even when I was in class as well. And then when I was introduced to, to poetry, you know, it was just a little short piece here that I would jot down in my notebook and then it would be something else. You know, when you are in uh, high school and you feel like you're in love, you know, that was another <laughs> reason for me to write or if you're angry about something that gave me a reason to write and pen out some poetry and they just took on different voices and it kind of took on a life of its own over, you know, certain periods of time. And the confidence thing grew, you know, as I wrote more and did it more, then I became a little bit more confident in my own work and myself. But initially it wasn't for anybody else. It was for me. And then the pieces that I wrote for other people, they never heard them. These were just things that I saw happening around me. And I felt like, hey, you know, sometimes people want to say things, but they don't know how to say it. And so then I would look at their situation and try and write something through their eyes as if I were them. And then that piece would become a poem. But you never shared it with them. No, I didn't. Um, occasionally. But for the most part, no. Like never, so you even now you've never shared that work with him. Um, now yes. Okay. Uh, some people, some some people, not all. I mean, I still have, uh, man, notebooks and backpacks of things that I've written. Jesus Christ, uh, years and years ago. So, I mean the the book that I just recently did. It's it's funny because I have pieces in there that were from the nineties that I wrote. Um, and then some new stuff from 2023. So when I was talking to Styles, I was telling him that uh, I have so many old pieces that I had originally written on paper. <laughs> the paper is now yellow. You know, it looks so, 
yeah, it looks so antiquated now that it's like, uh, what when did you write this and how was this paper still together? <laughs> and I, I keep them. I'm I'm really stuck on the on the part writing for somebody else, but not share. Did you ever feel guilty about not sharing it with them or no? Absolutely not. Um mainly because I felt like the situations that I was pinning for other people um, was not just limited to them. So it will be situations that I know other people out there were probably experiencing as well. So I was writing for an individual, but I felt like I was writing for a group of people who were also experiencing something similar. Um, I would share pieces that I wrote for people that were in pain. So if I uh, give you an example, a family friend of ours was going through uh, something really traumatic and I didn't have anything to do with it, you know, but I heard all of the conversations and I could see the pain in his face and in his eyes. And, you know, you can really tell when somebody is hurting. And so I wrote something for him to try and make him feel better. And um, now that I did read to him. So if it's things like that, to kind of make somebody aware of the fact that it's, it might feel and be bad right now, but there's always, there's always a way out, all right? Or there's always another avenue that you can take, or there's always another perspective, I'll say. Another perspective is probably better to say than another avenue, because if you have a different perspective than the one that has you in this pain point, then it gives you a, a different degree of hope. And so um, people like that, if I would write pieces for, I would share it with them to uplift. So, but just in general, mm-mm. When it's something when it's something like that, when it involves like pain, tragedy, stuff like, you know, in that frame, is it hard to create those pieces? Um, no, I think those are the easiest ones to write about. <clears throat> because really? everybody, yeah, uh, everybody has a pain point and we all experience it. And um I like to say that I'm an empath. And so when I am in that really empathetic space and trying to place myself in somebody else's shoes and I almost feel what it is that they feel <clears throat> or have an idea of what it is that they feel, then I write from that perspective. Um, because the whole object is to make somebody see something other than the space that they're in right now. So the whole point is to not only find a lesson depending on what the situation is, but it's to kind of just let somebody know that that love is there and that it's okay or that it's going to be okay. And so it's, it, it serves as that blanket, you know, of comfort when somebody is experiencing some type of heartache or pain or trauma or whatever the situation is. So it's about the lessons and the comfort and the love for me. Well, since that's the easiest one, like pain and stuff, since that's the easiest one to write about, is it hard to write about like happiness, joy, stuff like that? Um, not when I'm experiencing it. So I write a lot on my experiences and others, <clears throat> but I don't have a process. So I write when I feel it. So it's easiest to write when I feel something because all of these emotions 
you know, are triggering the words. So that's the inspiration for me. Now, if I am prompted to write something, those are probably the the difficult times. Somebody says, hey, can you write me a poem about this? But I'm not inspired to write it. There is no experience. There's no, you know, there's nothing internally or externally prompting me for that. You know, some type of real life situation uh, or imagined situation, but it's something that can actually happen. Then those things take me a little longer to write about because now I have to sit down and think about it. When I'm inspired or something is uh, going on in my life or somebody else's, um, it kind of comes to me naturally and I'm able to just go ahead and pin out my thoughts. Is there anything you could think of like offhand that inspires you? Um, love, love and life, love and chaos. I like to say that all the time, love and chaos, because <laughs> uh, everything is based on that love life and life really kind of captures both sides of that. So, yeah, I write a lot about love and intimacy. And I also write about the chaotic portions of life as well. The tragedies, you know, or the um, not so great part of love, whether it is related to family or friends or whoever your significant other is. You put so are you are you saying are you saying love and chaos kind of go hand in hand? They do. That's that's my motto right there. Love and chaos. I do. Wow. Okay. Can you mind explaining that? Because that's that's kind of interesting to hear that. Why do you feel like go hand in hand? Um, I mean, just like good and evil exist in this world, so does love and chaos. And I don't think that um, not in the present realm that we live in now, one exists without the other. We would love to live in a world where neither, you know, of those has to compete with the other, has to contend with the other one. But yeah, so love has so many different faces, but they're not all good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Is chaos always a bad thing? Um, Not if you can get the lesson from it. So you can experience some type of chaos. And if you can get the lesson from it, now you have experienced growth after you make it through whatever the chaos is. But now if you do not experience anything that's going to take you from the point you're at somewhere else that's going to be for your benefit, then chaos is not a good thing. Okay. Only reason I ask that is because yeah. chaos is, when I think of chaos, it's like, mm -hmm. it's not predictable. Like you don't know what's mm -hmm. going on. So I don't, mm -hmm. so it's not always a bad thing that you don't know what's going on. That's true. That's why I was wondering that. Yeah, it's not always a bad thing. I mean, and life is unpredictable. Some things you can predict, but we definitely cannot predict everything. You know, we know. So uh, sometimes we see chaos coming. Sometimes we create it. And sometimes we don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of us have created our own chaos. Yeah, that's a... you better believe it. And then sometimes other people create the chaos for us. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you're writing, do you mm -hmm. have to be like in a certain room in a certain like physical space? 
Um, no, not necessarily. Um, it's more of a feeling. So sometimes I listen to music. Um, and I mean, inspiration hits me at different points at different times. So I'll give you an example. So sometimes I can be in my room and it's a quiet space and I'm in my zone. You know, I may have music playing or maybe watching something and I set the mood, right? And then I can write something. But other times I could be in the shower or I could just be watching, you know, a show or a video and hear a word or hear a song or the lines will just come to me. And then I have to, you know, grab my phone and record it or, you know, get out a pen and pad and jot down what my thoughts are. I can be in the bed at night dreaming and lines will come to me and I have to get up and write them down so I don't forget them. And I was telling Styles once before that I um, was in the car going somewhere and I got to a red light and I was listening to a song on the radio. And I'm trying to tell you, I was I was really grooving. <laughs> I don't even remember what the song was. However, it triggered something and I thought of an entire piece and I wrote that entire piece in the car on the back of a, a receipt that was uh, in my glove compartment. Yeah. Now that's only happened once, but... Yeah, so there is no specific place or setting or any of that that I have to pre-set up for me to be able to write. It kind of just comes authentically, you know. Do you, per, do you prefer to write it or record it? And let me make it clear because, you know, you mentioned now, you know, we, you know, you, we didn't have as much technology now where you could just stop and say what you need to say and record mm -hmm. it. You, like you had to always jot it down, but you said in this instance, you wrote it down on a receipt. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really sound that convenient, but that's what you did. So do you, do you prefer one method over the other? I mean, I'm old school. I prefer to write, write everything. Just like, I don't like, um, let's see, eBooks is the thing right now and digital, everything is digital, which is cool because it's more convenient, <clears throat> but I prefer to flip the pages, you know? So I also prefer to write. So I write everything down still today. And um, I'll go back later and type it on my computer. And if I don't have a pen or a pad, I'll type it on the notes in my phone. But then I'll still go back and write it down. Do you think writing it makes it hit a little different as opposed to like initially typing it? Because you got to actually... It, it processes in your mind because it's processing in your mind. You actually have to physically write it. So does you think it hits you a little different than it, that process? It does hit me different. It's more, everything is personal to me when I write it down and um, it's about connection. So this sounds a little bit crazy, but I have connection to the paper. You know, I have a connection to the pen. Now this is something that I do do. I do have like, special pens that I like to write with. <laughs> so I don't need a special place or a setup prior to writing, but I do like special pens and the ink, you know, has to be a particular way. It has to be a certain color and it has to flow, flow a particular way. I have to fill the pen <laughs> or the pencil, but um, I know that sounds a little off, but no, yeah. that makes sense. Do the, do the, what colors do you use? Usually dark blue. Or black, but mostly dark blue. But no, no, no other colors like red, uh, green. No. Okay. Mm -mm. 
no, or pencil, but mostly dark, dark blue. If I have used a, a colored pen, it's only because I don't have a dark blue pen um, accessible to me. Why dark blue? Um, I don't know. I just like the color. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. And you said you get inspired by music. Is there a particular genre that inspires you more? It's not necessarily the genre. It's the song. So it's the song and it's the content based on whatever the song is about. So I, because I listen to all types of music and I mean all types of music. But if I had to narrow it down to what types of music I listen to, um, Neil Soul. Motown, R&B, old school R&B, um, conscious rap, you know, some of the underground artists that don't really get mainstream airtime or some of the ones that are actually out here, but they don't get as much play as they should get, you know. Uh, I was talking about uh, Ciroc the last time I did a, a podcast, but some of the content that she speaks on speaks to me. It also speaks to, you know, my students. It also speaks to uh, my children. It speaks to a little bit of every body. And so those are the types of music that I listen to. If I'm writing about love, then I listen to that type of music. If I'm writing about int intimacy, then I'm writing, listening to that type of music, you know? So um, the baby making music or, <laughs> you, you know, the love songs, yeah. you know, or the, old school Anita Baker type music. So do you I always wondered like with poets, do you listen to music differently? And let me let me tell you why I ask this question. So mm -hmm. I get into it with one of my friends all the time. <laughs> we both we we like music but for different reasons. Like I listen to the production. I'm not really into the words, which which is actually crazy, but if the beat, like if the production is really good, I could listen to the song. Whereas he listens to the words, and I'm assuming because you're a poet, you could you could probably strip away the production and just listen to the words. Am I right? Or um, I mean, I think they kind of go hand in hand. However, I dig what you say, but I do place emphasis on the words, but also the beat. So music feels good. And depending on, you know, when it hits your ear, what it sounds like and how it feels, that's going to make you move or that's going to make you turn it off. So just like poetry, it should motivate or stimulate some type of emotion in you, whether that emotion is anger or whether it's love or whether it's, oh, that's my shit. You know what I'm saying? And, and you just want to jam out and groove or dance and it puts you in a nice space i mean you know some music puts you in a space like i, I need to turn this off uh <laughs> or i end up you know what i'm saying uh fighting somebody or whatever the case may be but for me it's the way that the music makes me feel as well as what's being said you i remember you talking on style show you said you kind of got a little road rage so what what do you have to listen to when you ride <laughs> listen first of all that's that's true and i do have to uh watch what it is that i'm listening to sometimes when i'm in the car because and now before i used to drive a stick ship 
And boy, I swore I was like in an episode of Fast and Furious when I when I had my steak <laughs> chef. I was trying to tell you, you could not tell me anything. And I was like, I need to stop listening to this type of music because switching gears, they make you feel like a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> But let's see. Um, I know I try to calm and eliminate my road rage now because people are so crazy. You know, they're doing all kinds of stuff. You cut somebody off or, or whatever the case may be and you might get your tires shot out or you may get shot or followed home or whatnot. You know, the nature of people is, is off the charts now. But let's see. I said ludicrous. Move. Um I listened to Spice One. Spice uh, One, the, the the rapper from the nineties. Oh yeah, East Bay Gangster. Oh my god! Okay. I'm trying to tell you, I listened to Tupac. Um, hit him up. <laughs> and this is all on your drive. Uh yeah, but see, I have to be choosy about the music that I listen to because it gets me so hyped up. So a lot of times, I have to to turn that off. And change the mood and put something else on, like listen to Ciroc, <laughs> who sings songs like, you know, Sharecropper's Daughter or Forever, you know, things that put you back in the mind state that you need to be back in the love zone. Like, OK, you are here to to uplift the people. <laughs> <laughs> now, not to be ready that, you know, most somebody down on, on the road. <laughs> see, when I'm I'm see, I'm in the um, D.C. area, so. Yeah, I, only, I pretty much ninety percent of the time I only listen to like neo soul or something when I'm driving because I need to be calm. I need to be yeah. like my 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 mood got to be good dealing with these these crazy drivers here. So yeah. I really I mean, listen to like rap when I'm driving. I mean, I love neo soul too. I listen to uh, neo soul. I listen to house music. I listen to a lot of house. I listen to uh, reggae. Uh, love that. I listen to African drum beats. I love those. Um, a lot of old school Motown and uh, artists. Like I play Jodeci out still. Jodeci, Mary J. I still play those. And then some of the other artists that I grew up on, you know, with my parents in the house. Both of my parents are um, hairstylists. And so, you know, I grew up on Rochelle Farrell, Anita Baker, you know, Patti LaBelle, Shaka Khan, all of those things. Uh, Phyllis Hyman that was playing in the house all the time growing up yeah. uh, Stevie Wonder you know Michael Jackson good lord all of that uh, Prince I'm a bona fide Prince fan along with Rakim you know Rakim I say that's my hip hop husband right there who are some of your favorite songwriters favorite songwriters Let's see. There are so many. Well, I'll tell you who I listen to right now um, in the rap world. I like D Smoke. Oh, okay. I like uh, Kendrick Lamar. I listen to him. I like uh, J. Cole. Um, Anita Baker is one of my all-time favorites. Prince. Nobody can touch him at all. Nobody can touch Prince. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> <laughs> um, because this catalog of music just it's it's diversified. And then if you actually listen to the lyrics, 
And it's not all about sex. You know what I'm saying? If you actually listen to the lyrics and some of his old stuff, you know, he has a lot of knowledge in there, especially mm. if you watch some of his interviews. Now, of course, he talks about a lot of sexy stuff as well, but <laughs> um, let's see. I can't even think right now, but there are, are many. Ciroc, I keep mentioning Ciroc. If you've never heard Ciroc's music, you have to listen to the lyrics of the things that she's talking about. I play music in the classroom and I'm choosy about which songs I pick for my students to listen to <clears throat> because they're so interested in most of the mainstream music today that has no depth and it's not about anything. And a lot of it is about violence. And so if you want to change their perspective and there's a beat behind it that they can get with, but there's also a message in the music then now you've not only exposed them to something new and something different, but you've also taught them something. So, um, yeah. How often do you play music for your students? All the time. Oh. All the time. Um, in summer school, this year in summer school, we would start the day off. So I generally start the class off with affirmations. But this year I said, we're not going to do affirmations. We'll start it off with either a video or a poem. And then I give them about two to three minutes to uh, either analyze it or just give me feedback on what the song is talking about. So, <clears throat> and the videos, if it's poetry, then, you know, it's something off of spoken word, you know, deaf poetry jam or verses in flow or some other live uh, poetry. Otherwise, it's a video and a song. And I put the lyrics up there uh, or the captions if it's the full video and not just, you know, the title and the words. But they love it um, because music is universal. And um, it starts the day off on the right foot, right? And then I build the affirmations into it. So usually the song, whatever is in it, there's something affirmational that you could gain from it. <clears throat> but then the kids give me their feedback on it. Some of them depending on the type of music they like, um, and may not like it, and that's okay. Mm. But, uh, what inspired you to start teaching? Um, well, I'll tell you. Um, I think everybody has purpose in life, and whenever people get asked this question, do you know what your purpose in life is, or what is your purpose? Some people say, I don't know, or I don't have a purpose, or I'm not sure what my purpose is. And so I knew I had a purpose, but I wasn't really clear on it until my adult years. And my purpose is simply to teach and to love. And everything that I have ever done rests on those two things. So any job that I have ever had, I have always been teaching something or someone. I enjoyed school when I was younger. And just the idea of being able to give somebody something that they could take away and use, you know, in their lives. <clears throat> I feel like I was teaching when I was younger because people would come to me and ask me questions or ask me things. And however I would respond to them, <clears throat> they would absorb that. Mm -hmm. And so I've been a case manager for at-risk at youth before. Um, you know, I'm a loctician. I've done hair for years. I grew up in the salon. 
And but it, if you've been to the barbershop before, which of course you have, <laughs> and the salon, I mean, you know, it's like therapy as soon as you sit in the chair. Yeah. Clients come in and boy, they tell you everything <laughs> up under the sun, even when you do not ask what's going on in their lives. And so even in that instance, it's informal, but at the same time, I'm still teaching somebody something. I'm still connecting with somebody. If they can gain something from it that's useful to their life, even if we're laughing and you know talking about stuff that uh, is outside you know, of something serious, but you can still pull something from an experience and learn something from it, right? And if somebody takes something away and they feel good after they do that, all right, now you have made your mark in somebody's life. So whether it was case management, whether it was teaching. So I have uh, done elementary school, middle school, and the past nine years, it's been high school. Um, It's just what I like to do, you know, and I like to see people feel good and I like to see them grow and I like to see them learn. And I always learn from my students or who else I run into. So as I'm teaching, I'm still learning. And then I can take that to somebody else. And, you know, whatever they gain from me, they can take that somewhere else if they're not applying it to self. And all of those are different aspects of love. And so that's where it is. So my purpose is to teach and to love. And so those are the things that I really enjoy doing. You know, they aren't always good instances depending on the circumstances. However, if you focus on what's the lesson that I can take from this so that I can grow better going forward, then that's what's more important. One of the things that you said that I that I don't really hear teachers say is you actually learn from your students. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate more on that? Oh, yes. Well, let's see. My classroom is pretty open. And when I say open, um, we don't always or I don't always teach from the text. So it's quite often I have had to close my door. You know, when I'm teaching things from the textbook and say, I know the text says this, but what really happened is this, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) I say I have to close my door because, you know, um, we can get in trouble for teaching against what they have, these scripted curriculums and things like that, especially if someone were to go home and say, well, mom, you know, uh, my teacher said this. I remember I heard this or in the book, it says this, but she says this is what really happens. And, you know, they warn against that administration because. You don't know how these children have been raised, how they have been taught. So if mom and dad have taught them, you know, this, whether it's on the Confederacy level or whatever it is, and you teach them something else against that and they take that back home and that parent comes to the school and complains, well, now you have a problem. So it's I quite often will say, hey, (laughs) even though it says this, this is what it is. But um, it's a very relaxed atmosphere. So I give them the freedom to express themselves. So let's say I'm teaching something about, you know, a language and how oral language came to be. And we're talking about, you know, stories of uh, Native American life and, you know, how they preserved their stories and, you know, uh, pilgrims, the whole nine, or even I could use Christopher Columbus, but we're not going to turn this into a history class. (laughs) (laughs) I ask them how they feel right after I say certain things and then I make it personal to them. Well, what would you do if, or give me an experience where something like this has occurred or 
have you ever seen something like this? Now that opens up conversation. Okay. And the students, boy, once you give them some room <laughs> to speak openly and freely, because a lot of times they don't feel like they're able to say what they want to say without being, you know, uh, out getting some type of backlash from it or without getting, you know, I'm about to be browbeaten because of what I say and somebody's going to disagree with me or I'm going to get in trouble for what it is that I say. So I give them the freedom to express themselves, whether it's personal or it's related to the text, yeah. as long as it's respectful, right? And so what happens is the students become so comfortable with me, they come to me with everything you know, with their home life problems, with the issues that are going on in school, their individual struggles as young ones and our content um, lessons go beyond the actual content, right? And so I make everything a discussion in the classroom. And if I'm on a particular subject and something triggers somebody in the class and it turns into something else, a different type of conversation, well, then I'll focus on that conversation and make it a teachable moment for everybody. <clears throat> but I learn things from them based on how young ones feel, how they think, how they interpret certain types of emotions and things that people say, how they interpret information. And then that's good for me because sometimes... Now I'm seeing different perspectives from their generation. Now I can kind of modify how I instruct them and some of the other ones because you can't always teach kids the same. They don't all process information the same and they don't internalize everything the same. You may have a group that does, but then you're going to have these other ones over here that don't get it or that feel differently about it. So those types of discussions and giving them the freedom to be able to express themselves within boundaries, of course, and respectfully. You you always have to set some type of limits with, you know, students because <laughs> um, they can get a little bit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but, but for the most part, if the atmosphere is conducive to, you have the ability to speak, right? And share with me and know that I'm not getting ready to attack you for it. I'm going to respond. You may or you may not like it. I'm going to respond, but I'm not going to attack you. And so I learn from them and they learn from me and I take that and use it. And hopefully they take whatever it is that they learn from me and use that wherever they can, wherever it benefits them or somebody else. And, you know, I'm able to um, it just just use it wherever necessary. And that's how you build. You you said, you said, um, you know, they come sometimes they'll even come to you with your personal problem, you know, their personal Absolutely. problems and life experience, does it ever become overwhelming for you? Um, sometimes, but, and it's only overwhelming because I feel bad for some of them, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think being a parent myself and also working in a field with, uh, at-risk young ones who had all types of issues from prostitution, homelessness, you know, abuse, all of these different things. And you have to have this balance between being stoic when you're talking to them so you don't break down, you know, and they can actually get out whatever it is that they need to get out. 
and get some feedback from somebody who's calm. Find the balance between that and being sympathetic and emotional to whatever is going on with them, you know, because I, I love on the kids. And so, you know, I see one of them cry and I'm just like, come here. <laughs> Let me give you a hug. Does that does that ever um so because you're doing so much with the teaching, like and you yeah. said special education, so that's that's an even more difficult level of education. Like, do you ever find that affecting your creativity? Um the only thing that affects my creativity is the time. Oh, okay. Be- because it's busy. You know, the nature of education, there's so much work to do outside of just instructing the children. And if you're a special education education teacher, you're also a case manager. So you have a caseload of students with uh, IEPs, you know, documents that says what the issues are and how you need to instruct them and all of this stuff. So you have paperwork that you have to do and address these individuals. That's a whole separate job in addition to instructing your classrooms. And then you have the grading and then you have the administrative part where you have all of these professional development meetings, development meetings that you have to go to, uh, faculty meetings, staff meetings, all of these things, uh, extra trainings and conferences that they have us going to, and you know, um, the grading, good Lord. And then when testing comes around, so it's a lot. So it kind of causes you to put so much time into your day job and work in that. And you have to just find spaces to work on the creative portions. And the only thing that's overwhelming with teaching for me, special education or general education students is when I'm unable to help somebody that I know is in need, you know, and I'm not talking about academics. I'm talking about stuff out of academics because some of them come in there with some really, really serious things going on and you know as an educator we're limited in what it is that we can do you're a mandated reporter which means that you have to report something that is reportable these kids are in danger if they go home or this baby just came to me and and told me something I think you need to know you need to report that immediately however after that there's not much in your hands that you can do and if you watch the process and you know that this child still isn't being served correctly and they're still in a place that's possibly dangerous for them, which I've had a student like that before, then that's disheartening. You know, that's hurtful and overwhelming because you want to do something literally to be the the savior. You know, you want to take that baby out of the home or you want to lock these people up who are, you know, harming the child, but you can't. It's out of your hands. So those are the things that are overwhelming for me. When I see one of my students going through something and I'm limited in what I can do, I cannot help them at all. You identify your purpose is um, being educated. I'm sorry, being an educator. That's part of your purpose. And also teaching. To teach and to love. Right, to teach and to love. Yes. Because those things are so important and you know that's your your purpose. How mm-hmm. does that make you feel? Um, I mean, I just try to extend it wherever I can and then find the lessons within myself, you know, 
um, like I was saying, when I'm teaching my students, I'm also learning from them. Mm-hmm. You know, well, life <laughs> and these experiences with other people and situations is also a teacher for me. You know, so in that same in that same turnaround, you know, I have to remember to love self also, right? Because sometimes we can lose sight of self and then you get off track. And now you have to remind yourself what your purpose is while you're doing these things for other people. Well, you forgot to do them for yourself, you know? Um, But they come out in my writings as well. So I just try and wherever I can get it in, that's what I do. If I see somebody that I can extend it to, then I will. If I can't, I will write about it you know, or hopefully talk to somebody else who can address the situation. I want to, I want to end the conversation with you talking about your book. Sure. Uh, when did it come out and how long did it take you to complete it? The book has been out for a little over a week. I think I'm going on two weeks now. It's called Emotional and it is uh, my first collection of put together collection of poetry. It has short narratives in between. So it reads like a story. So you have to read it from the beginning to end. A lot of times when people get poetry books, you know, they look for the table of contents and they see a catchy (laughs) title (laughs) and they have to flip through the page like, oh, I like that title. Let me go to page 36 and read this one. But it reads like a story. And so you really have to start from the beginning, you know, and kind of go straight through so you can see the transition and feel that emotional roller coaster as you go through it, because that's what it's designed to do, to take you on the ups and downs of uh, emotions when you are experiencing different types of relationships, the good and the bad. And then there's some there's some self-actualization that has to take place as well when you're going through all of these things and these relationships. And so, um, yeah, uh, it's my first. Um, These are a collection of poems from, uh, goodness, many years. But I put them together, you know, in a particular order so that it reads like a story and it almost feels like they were all written at the same time. It took me a long time to write it. This book has been in the works for years. And that's because I started and I stopped and I started and I stopped. But I'm glad that I did not finish it years ago because the way that it ended is is perfect. You know, I would not have had all of the poems to place in it the way that I have it situated and set up now had I completed it years ago because these are just poems from different phases of life in different years. And then they've been strategically placed so that it reads like a story now. So was it hard was, doing that placement? Hmm? Was it hard to like like put it in put it in order, like place it? Mm, not really. Um choosing the poems was probably uh the hardest. There were only a couple of times I I did rearrange the placement probably about three times for about four of the poems. And then towards the end of the collection, I added, I think, two or three new ones in there. But no, I knew the story that I wanted to tell. And um, yeah. So once I knew the story, it was just a matter of 
staying on task to make that come to life. What do you want us to read us to get once we read it? What do you want us to what do you want us to take from it? I would like the readers to feel something. Um, I would like them to feel at least one aspect of love and transition once they read that, because there'll be something that someone can connect to. There's at least one poem in there that everybody can connect to. Now there is some, there are, let me see, probably about three, maybe four uh, poems in there that are explicit. Right, so that's when we, we get to the uh, <laughs> um, there's some erotic pieces in there. So, and uh, that's where the explicit language disclaimer comes in. But um, I want the reader to feel what it is that they read, and if they feel that, then I'll know it by whatever the reaction is. But they have to read it from the beginning to the end. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I really thank you for doing this. I really appreciate your time. It's been an honor and a pleasure talking with you. Um, I really enjoyed the episode with Styles, and that's what inspired me to do this. So thank you for taking the time to do this. Well, thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed it as well. Before we end, please tell the people how they can not only get the book, but how they can also follow you on social media. All right. So the book is available on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon Books, Um, you have to click on Amazon and then books because otherwise it's just going to put you in the general database if you try and look up emotional. Uh, So you want to go to Amazon, then books, then type in emotional by today. That's T-O-D-A-E. And then it will be available for you to purchase. You can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook at Kyoko Today. That's K-I-Y-O-K-O. Today is spelled T-O-D-A-E. And on Instagram and TikTok, it's Kyoko underscore today. And on Facebook, it's just Kyoko today. So you can order on Amazon, or if you would like a personal signed copy, you could just reach out to me on any one of those platforms and uh, let me know and I will send you one. I do only have, I have sold out of almost all of the copies, hard copies that I ordered for myself. So I think I only have about three of those left until I put in a second bulk order. However, it is still readily available on Amazon to purchase. All right. Well, congratulations on the sellout. Hopefully you get the last one or so. Thank you so much. And, so and all and all the best with, with everything you got going moving forward. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I enjoyed uh, being a guest on your show as well. Oh, thank you. I enjoy having you. I want to take this time to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore Lamp. My Facebook is also conversations with Lamp. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.